Hey, good morning again. Yeah. So, <clears throat> we are heading back into our series on Galatians. Last week, John and Allison talked about just being refreshed in the midst of being overwhelmed. And I think today even kind of lends itself to that topic too. Um, but I'm really excited about this section in Galatians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you need a Bible, there's some over there. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take one of those. That's our gift to you. So would love to have you go home with a Bible today. So um, this is one of the most important sections of Scripture for us Jesus followers to camp on, to understand, to commit to memory, to never let go of. As we follow Jesus over time, the years, the decades, we are going to need these truths desperately, okay? Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about why we need this. We started this relationship with Jesus in awe. Hey guys, sorry, I'm just, I am easily distracted at times. That is, it's not you, it's me, trust me. No, no, <laughs> it's the ADD, man, it's just got me. So, um, we start off this relationship and, and I know for me, um, I was just taken aback that I was forgiven and saved from the punishment that my sin deserved because God himself paid my debt for me. Like that was great news, liberating news, transforming news, changed everything for me. That night when that hit me, I felt a weight of guilt and shame, this feeling that I, there was something about me that was deeply flawed. And it wasn't just that I had done things wrong, is that I was wrong as a person. And when that was lifted, that changed everything. That was the gospel. And for many of us, um, maybe your story is a little different where it didn't hit you at that one point, whatever. There are moments where the gospel hits us deeply and there's this freedom and release that we feel. <clears throat> well, the Galatians were similar in that they had that experience too. They had this wonderful, freeing, liberating connection to the gospel through the cross. And they were living in freedom. And they were enjoying their relationship with Jesus. And then something starts to happen. There was actually individuals outside of the Galatian area, these were a, a group of churches, 
There were some Judaizers, they call them. So ones that had supposedly become Christians, but also were still holding on to some of these religious laws from the past. And they start to creep into their congregation. And it starts ruining what they had. And so let's pick this up in chapter 3. So turn there with me. Chapter 3 of Galatians. Okay, so this is Paul talking. And let me start by saying, Paul is really concerned about this. He knows that these men um, from this other church that have this strong religious kind of Jewish upbringing and belief system, just like he once did, now they're throwing these Galatian Christians into confusion. They're saying you need to be circumcised. They're, they're adding these rules, and it's becoming this Jesus Christ plus system. So you need Jesus, that's important, plus you need to do this and do this and do this and stay away from this. So it becomes this Jesus plus system, and Paul is really worried about it, okay? So, here he starts in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? These are strong words. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we're going to look at this a little more in depth in what Paul is saying. He brings them back to the very beginning, what they started with and what they came to believe that made such a radical difference in their lives. And he's reminding them, you guys came to Jesus through the cross, His crucifixion, this is where this all began. And if you remember that, this awful, agonizing, brutal execution that was doled out on Jesus, remember, we started by trusting in that. That was it, period. Like, we made it clear there wasn't anything else that we could add to that. There wasn't anything else that we needed to do, but we needed to trust and depend on that sacrifice in our place. And so then Paul asked him, and then what was the result of that? Well, you all became spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit entered you, so forgiveness was granted and transformation began. And so he asks them that question because he knows that they've experienced transformation. They've seen 
God do things in their lives. And he said, did you receive that Holy Spirit by doing a bunch of things that I told you to do? It's a rhetorical question. They know. No, it wasn't. It was because we believed what you said. We believed on Jesus. And then Paul says, are you so foolish? Like you've started this whole walk with Jesus by means of the Spirit. And now, like you're, you're switching over. You're trying to finish by means of the flesh, okay? So sometimes you hear people say, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, okay? Paul is saying the way you started is the way you got to finish here. It's by believing, not doing, okay? So he's appealing to their experience. He's reminding them that you have started by the Spirit, and you've experienced God, and you've seen miracles among you, and it's not because you did anything religious. It's because you believed on the cross, okay? So, one of the things that, and this is really important for Paul, is that he wants them to see very clearly that it is not about your own effort. As if there was something that we could do to add to that cross. So Paul's saying it's not Jesus Christ plus. It's Jesus the Christ plus nothing. So Jesus plus equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So, we read this and we might say, well, okay, that was a Galatian issue. That was back then, this really isn't our issue now. I want to say it absolutely is our issue, and I run into it, and we struggle with it all the time. I have one counselor friend, he said, for hours and hours a day, I find myself reminding Christians of the gospel over and over and over for them to be able to understand where they stand with God and their relationship to Him. I am constantly reminding people of the gospel. We begin in freedom and joy. Early on, there's this excitement of our, gosh, our salvation and forgiveness. And then, oftentimes, this hamster wheel of performance starts to slowly creep in. I heard one person call this um, spiritual performance virus, SPV. Like it enters our bloodstream and this spiritual performance virus infects our thinking, 
and it clouds the gospel, and then it produces anxiety and shame. So think about it. We came to Jesus by faith in Him, and then, for some reason, we begin, we begin to approach Him as if it all depends on us. Kind of like, it's like, yes, Jesus put the down payment down for us, but then we need to make the monthly payments. Like, then we need to step up and take care of it from there. So the way this works is we find ourselves saying, I need to pray more, I need to be more focused when I do pray. I need to read my Bible, I need to study it, I need to memorize it, I haven't been doing that enough, I haven't told anybody about Jesus in years. I need to, whatever that is, we fill in the blank, or it might be, I need to stop doing whatever it is, and we fill in the blank. So we all kind of make our personal lists. And then we have this spiritual performance virus that infects us, and it has infected the Galatians too. For many of us, we've made it Jesus plus something. And we've come about that honestly. I think there's a few things that just naturally go our, through our mind when it comes to our forgiveness. Some of us, I'm sure, have thought, surely God expects something from me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite who believes this, but just doesn't do much. Or just the fact that this is too good to be true. Like, it really can't be like this. Surely God expects something more from me to gain His smile, to gain His approval in my life. I mean, He can't be totally pleased with me. I know for me, I've struggled with a thought like, there's got to be times when he is disappointed in me as a father, just disappointed. So then what happens is we start to develop standards in our minds of what a good Christian should be. We start striving, we want to grow, we see some sin issues that we thought maybe we dealt with, they kind of surface again in our lives, we try harder, we fall, we condemn ourselves more and more. And so the spiritual performance virus starts to spread and it just chokes the life out of us. Like spiritual life starts to get to feel more like a burden. Instead of what Jesus said, where he said, my burden is light. His yoke is light. So for me personally, I would say that I started to experience this more so um, as I started to grow and follow Jesus and then had some leadership responsibilities, okay? Um, I know after I came to Jesus, just the thought of living for Him nonstop was awesome. I'm like, I can't, I mean, this is just great. I've got the rest of my life to live for Jesus, knowing that I'm forgiven, and I, didn't, I don't deserve any of it. And that was exciting, and I was overjoyed to serve Jesus and His people even further. Um, but then it started to shift for me, and I started to get troubled by feeling like I'm not good enough 
or I'm not performing well enough, and I started to develop kind of this detailed list of things that I need to improve in, you know? And uh, do I want to be better as a leader or as a Jesus follower? Of course I do, but it kind of got crazy-making. And so I saw this tweet the other day, and this is from a, um, a church-planting pastor, an author that I really appreciate some of his stuff. And he said this, in consumer culture, a pastor is a dynamic communicator, a powerful visionary, a leadership guru, a political commentator, a podcast creator, a marriage counselor, a social activist, a parenting expert, a bedside chaplain. Another pastor added, don't forget, activities coordinator, perfect parent and spouse, theologian, historian, cultural expert, visiting homes and individuals daily, great with youth and kids, community representative, graphic designer. And then he says, no wonder they burn out. Another one said, I had some more. And he said, well, I only had 240 characters, so I was stuck. Another said, an accomplished author, an inspiring motivational speaker, a fashion-aware professional who knows all the latest cultural trends might also help if you're doing CrossFit and you hang out at Bohemian coffee shops. That's really cool. Um, also, very important to have multiple seminary degrees and use lots of big words. That will really impress a lot of people. Make sure you're available and you better be a great listener. Okay. It's a lot of stuff. All right, but here's what that started to fuel in me. A tremendous sense of inadequacy. It was like, will I ever be good enough in any of these areas? Let alone all of these areas? It's totally impossible. It's impossible to please and provide for the consumers. At one point, I'd say I felt more like I'm not a person, I'm a service. I'm a commodity, and as long as I perform really well, people will follow. And so this, though, is not, like, this is just the context that I framed that in. Okay, and then what would happen is that slowly I would kind of project that onto God and maybe think, well, maybe God isn't really happy with my production either. Okay, now, here's where Galatians 3 has just come in. I go to this section for comfort and truth when the thought enters that I'm not good enough. Because the truth is... I'm not good enough. <laughs> None of us are. That's the point. That's the freedom of the gospel, is that we do not need to please Jesus, that He is already pleased with us. I know I am so glad that I will not stand before people at the end of my days, I will stand before God. That is so reassuring to know. Now, 
obviously, this is the context that I framed that in as I was leading. I think no matter where we're at in life, whether we're a parent at our job, as a follower of Jesus, we struggle with feeling like we fall short of the ideal. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or not. I would be struggling with some of those same thoughts anywhere else. And we can easily fall into this trap of trying to earn God's approval. And I've thought about that. If I could just improve my gifts or read more or offer more, then I'll get a thumbs up, kid, from God. And that is not the gospel. That is not what Scripture says. What Paul is trying to do in Galatians is to get them to understand that they were striving for something that they already possessed. God's approval and God's love. And they were forgetting how this whole relationship started. Just moments before Jesus died, he said those famous words, it is finished, done, over, paid for. He did not say, okay, I have done my part now, now it's your turn. He didn't say, it's almost finished, now take it from here. He said, it is finished. We just can't add anything to the cross. And so this is one of the things about Paul. As we read Paul throughout his letters, he is consistently going back to this very basic thing called the cross. He stays centered on it. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about, like, this is what we're getting persecuted for. We are preaching the crucified Jesus in these cities, and that's what people are mad at. He focused on that. In Galatians alone, in chapter 2, 19 through 21, 3, 1, 3, 13, 4, 5, 5, 11, 5, 24, 6, 12 through 14. All of those chapters and verses, he references the cross and the crucifixion. He reminds them, you gain salvation by trusting and depending on this. And you're going to continue to grow as believers as you trust and depend on on that. I want to finish with kind of transitioning into, well, how then do we do this? Like, how and like, what are some of the ways that we respond and we avoid grace? Okay? Grace. This offer, this God's riches at Christ's expense that's offered to us for free. What do we do to avoid it? Or when we're struggling, we deceive ourselves and we deny that we've fallen short. We hide. We minimize. We redefine what sin is. We kind of change the terms. Maybe we make some vows and we, we rededicate ourselves again. I know there have been times when I'd kind of grovel before God and whip myself. You know, we were talking about this just the other day, me and a friend, how it's like to prove that we really feel sorry for our sin. It's like 
we've got to, we feel like we have to do that. Or we construct a new set of rules to abide by, and then we're going to perform better. Or we medicate for the shame and the pain. Or we rebel and we say, forget it, all this stuff is garbage, I give up. And we give up on God, we give up on ourselves, and the last thing we do sometimes is just blame shift. Well, it's not my fault anyway, it was somebody else's. All these expose the fact that our performance or our lack thereof really causes us to enslave ourselves. This hamster wheel of performance, we purchase the hamster wheel. We buy it, we set it up, and we're the ones that jump on it. It's not God. He is not placing that into our lives and saying, I want you to get on there and start running that. And so this is why I think this is such an important section of Scripture is because it's not just something that the Galatians were subject to. We're all going to be infected with this at one time or another. And that's not to shame us. It's just that I think the gospel is hard to hold on to in this world sometimes. When the world works the exact opposite, like the American dream, right? The world all around us is built on merit, production, and earning your way. It's up to you. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. And that appeals to our pride. We can do it. That's what we, like, that's what we experience everywhere. So the gospel, the fact that you're given something and you don't deserve it and you didn't earn it, it's hard to even fathom when the rest of the world doesn't operate like this. For some of us, we grew up in homes where maybe our parents, it seemed like there was kind of an impossible standard. They weren't pleased with us. Um, maybe you felt like God was just waiting for us to screw up. There's just a lot of criticism. God isn't like that. He's our encourager. He's not our critic. So, here's the other thing that I think is just difficult with grace, is it's disorienting because it's so unique and so different. Okay, I got a question for some of you, for one of you, today is going to be a very special day. How many like, how many like Jeep Wranglers here? Okay. How many have just said, I really want a Jeep Wrangler? Like, big time. Very important. Okay. I have one. And today is your lucky day. Yeah. This is the key to the Jeep. And it's a little bit up in miles, but it's in sweet shape and um, ready to put up with it and give up with it, all right? So, come on up here and grab the keys. There you go. All right.
It's got gas. No, it's in great shape. All right. Now, what's going through your minds right now? You need a car. Sorry, you just lost. It's gone. Okay? No. My wife brought her car. Anything? What's going on in your minds? Confusion. What's the catch? Okay? What else? Shock. Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. We're all supposed to get a key. Rick, you, you little devil. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah. What else? Is she going to get the title? Get legal on me. Okay. Here's the point. It's disorienting. It doesn't make, it's like not the way we operate. You know, and obviously it's like, you know, Kelly's like, I got a new car, you know. Yeah. That's right. But if we're in that position, it's like, there's something in us that says, this can't be, like, there's got to be a catch. This is too good to be true. Or, like, can I take you out for dinner or something? Like, it's just not how we operate, period. And when we look at, like, the faith, we look at the message of Christianity, that's why it's so disorienting, because it's this free gift that we can do nothing to earn. That's why so many of the, like, the world religions, they are Jesus Christ plus systems, or it is about self-effort, all right? So, for other world religions, pray a certain amount of times per day while facing a certain direction, do a pilgrimage. That's Islam. Say no to excess and empty yourself of desire. That's Buddhism. Prove your worthiness. Mormonism, tithe, no caffeine, attend a temple, do a two-year mission. Jehovah's Witnesses, evangelize and go door-to-door, -door, attend all the kingdom hall meetings. That's Jesus plus right there. Everything aside from the gospel leans towards self-effort. And Paul does not want us to go back there. Here's why I feel this is really important. We do not graduate from the cross. We don't graduate from that where it's like, listen, I, I have been going to church for a long time. I've heard this message a long time. Enough. Give me something new and super deep. If we can't get any deeper than the cross, where are we? What are we doing? Does it get any, like, I mean, that is what Paul constantly goes back to. And we're going to need to go back to that too. Like my counselor friend said, 
constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. One of the most common symptoms of the performance virus is just that we lose our joy. It takes all the fun out of following Jesus when we're worried if he's disappointed with us. Our oldest son has played football for a number of different coaches, some of them good men, some of them awful men, just being honest. On one that he played on, he and his other quarterbacks, um, their coach constantly rips them, demeans them, berates them, and cuts them down in front of each other. So do you think any of those players enjoy playing for that guy? Not at all. They ask themselves every offseason, do we really want to do this anymore? This sucks. And even when they're successful, they're worried about, like they're constantly looking over their shoulder, do we do the right thing? Do we make the right decision? It's no fun playing for somebody and performing for somebody that's disappointed, and in his case, sometimes just disgusted with them. Well, God is not disappointed with you, period. I want to ask if this is relevant by asking us just to be open and vulnerable. How many here have felt that God is disappointed with you? Okay. So a lot of us have. The gospel is what we need. We get to revel and bask in the grace of God. Ephesians 2, salvation is by grace. Romans 5, we're sustained by grace. 2 Timothy, be strong in grace. 1 Corinthians, live by grace. We need to live by it. We need to remind ourselves, and we get to be sustained by it. And here's the thing that I love. We said, we can't do this, can we, on our own? And then... His scripture says, His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Gang, we can rest in that. That His grace is sufficient. That we have a God that is pleased with us and sees us with the righteousness of His Son because that is the gospel. It's unique, it's different, and there's nothing else out there on the market like it. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we are blessed, we are forgiven, we are free, and we are righteous, and there's nothing that we can do to make you love us any less. That is great news. God, help us remind us of this truth. Help us to come back to the cross and remember your words. It is finished. It's done. It's paid for. Get up. Claim your forgiveness. Walk in grace. Know I love you. 
Allow me to transform you from the inside out and let's walk this journey together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.